Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome. It's Sunday Sessions, 1st of November, 2000. Yes, 1st of November, 2020. So thanks very much uh, for joining me. Uh, this is our weekly time of exploring nature center folklore, connecting this with your favorite sanctuary, wherever that is in this weather. Uh, are you outside uh, or have you got this lovely inside sanctuary, wherever it is, amongst the shelter of the trees, up a hill, wherever you are, I hope you're connecting with this and this 1st of November and expressing your inspired visions from this sanctuary. It's an affirmations time, isn't it? Do that through your writing, art, craft, performance, problem solving, and even your vocation. Now, today's Sunday session is listed as Suan Traditions. But as I was preparing for this, I realized I'd entered into a very fast subject. And now I think it should have a different title because What's going to be more appropriate for this session today is the origins of Sawan and Halloween. Uh, so next Sunday, a lot of this will be spilling over, and that will get more themed on the Sawan traditions. So I, I trust you will enjoy this, find it fascinating. I'm going to speak quite a bit on a few locations around Ireland, what went on at them, what still goes on at them, that seems to originate into Sawan, and Halloween and the traditions that we still enjoy sharing today and how we know them today. So I hope this is going to inspire you how to revere and celebrate uh, this time right now as we're in the beginning of November. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to branch out in traditions more during the Sawan gatherings, as I say. So I hope you will join in with that. Now, we've got some lovely guests, uh, guests coming up. Uh, she sort of disappeared at the moment, but uh, Linda Rosewood's going to be on. You loved her last time when she shared a poem with us. So Linda will be, uh, she's actually here, and she'll be reciting her All in a Got poem in full herself instead of the crumpled up one that I did last week, if you remember. Uh, we've got Chandler Nichols, a lovely poet, uh, a lovely se Sunday Sessions regular now. So delighted to have something from her. Uh, B. Smith, stunning poet, who've been trying to get on the sessions um, for quite a while on the show. And again, after a, everybody loved the song by Howard Hawksley last week, and he's back. And uh, he's got a lovely traditional show on ghost song that you're probably familiar with, but maybe with a different tune. So let's uh, get uh, rolling with this and seeing uh, who's uh, with us today and see what I should be coming up with. Right, there's a few of you uh, commenting, and I forgot to ask, and you you, you know the routine. Yes, thanks, uh, Kimberly. Uh, good morning to you. Snow is starting to melt. <laughs> oh, goodness me. And uh, it's a chilly past few days. We've got that coming up at the end of this week. It's fairly mild here, fairly wet. We had a kind of a storm uh, yesterday. So lovely. Thank you for being here. And the lovely Donna is here. Good morning to you as well. Lovely to uh, have you with us. Uh, thank you very much. And anybody else who's uh, watching, who, who's coming on later, watching the archive, please comment. Please say where you're from. Uh, in fact, uh, I think I might type that in now. 
because I forgot to do that at the beginning. We're so busy, technical issues as well. So here we go. There we go. Yeah, all right, we get that onto the chat. And so everybody, right, so there we go. So let's move along here and see what we got. Now, for the third week running, what I'm uh, going to do, yes, third week, we had the dragons and uh, we had, um, I'm forgetting what we did have. We had the dragons and serpents, didn't we, uh, one week. Last week, how can I forget? It'll come back to me. Anyway, this is the third week. And I'm going to return to the Ornagot Cave at uh, Rathcrow and Rathcommon. There we are. We got uh, the cave there. Um, just uh, so take the banner so you can actually see. So I'm going to return there, and uh, we're going to go to the Hill of Tlaka. There's a wee uh, sort of that uh, is often referred to as the birthplace of Sawan, and later the uh, Halloween traditions. And this is due to the um, the fire. There's a fire there. I'm going to show you better pictures of that. Uh, but maybe the one that got cave and its stories, uh, the origins uh, that we revere at this time. And I'm going to be explaining why a little bit. Uh, it's because of this uh, character here. Because, as I say, two Sundays ago in the Fire Dragons and Serpents, I shared the story about Alien Trekken, uh, the triple headed uh, dragon there. So she's uh, alien or alien. She's going to come up uh, a fair bit today, I think. And uh, but uh, another one of folklore is Odras, uh, born to a fiery serpent. But this time, instead of coming out of the cave, uh, actually went was dragged. Uh, the stories uh, in Rathcrown about a woman being dragged by a cow. Uh, well, I know more about oh, a little bit of story of Odras. Uh, who had, unfortunately, a similar story to Eileen, Ellen, uh, but she was actually dragged by a serpent uh, up to the Cache Caves here, and that's where she became the water that was released onto land the following Imbolc. But anyway, I'm going to stick to Eileen. Uh, one of the varied uh, stories, unfortunately, of Eileen is that she was raped by three cruel lads and Eileen was born, well, her mother was raped by three cruel lads, and Eileen was born out of that act, and that's how she was born uh, with that dragon uh, with the three heads. Uh, the embarrassment of this actually caused her to retreat into the Ornagot cave, but she, she would emerge every so on with flames from her nostrils, as I said, a couple of weeks ago. I'm really repeating what I was saying then. And... Uh, through doing so, and every time she came out of this entrance here uh, with her red peacocks, which are, uh, um, and they all go off. It's always like Santa going off with a deer into the sky uh, because it said that she had goblins making things inside as well. But uh, as she retreated uh, from there, she would visit um, Talaka and blast fire over Talaka, and then she would visit the hill of and Manmaka in Armagh, which I'm going to be talking about as well, and Blast Fire there. And I'm going to show you why there is those two a bit later on. Because both the hill of Tlaka in Meath and the hill of Emmanmaka, they're still so on fire ceremony sites in Ireland. And sadly, 
both stories have their own cruel rape stories, but as I would be saying, the Emin Maka one actually has a kind of happy ending. I don't know if there's religious bias there, but it's not such a, a serious story. But then thinking about it, why do these Sawan sites, these fire sites, why do they have these gory, horrible rape stories? It seems awfully coarse for what is really a celebration, a part of the season's natural cycle. I've asked storytellers this when I've learned their stories. They haven't got an answer. So I've had to resort to my own interpretation, and it comes with thinking about where we are at this time in this part of the Northern Hemisphere. When people talk of rape, it could also include a deep conversation about consent, because rape comes, obviously, as we know, it's, it's bullying, it's abuse at its worst, there's no consent. But at this time, winter's about to happen. And there the story was uh, snow in the USA. There's no choice about that. It doesn't arrive, weather does not arrive through our consent. Winter does not arrive through our consent. It's going to happen whether we want it or not. And we have more, a lot of us are comfortable today, but in the past, People were not protected like we are today. They didn't have sturdy homes so much or heating and energy networks, as well as organized food storage. So for ancient people, the way I imagine it, and then, of course, it's still the same, unfortunately, for some people today. Winter is a very unwanted experience and often seems like a cruel experience, too. So I'm wondering if this nature story became unfortunately by the gory storytellers became the rape stories through the drama expressed out of the scribing stories of the medieval patriarchal scribes as I often talk about. So I'll leave it to you, the interpretations from these scribes things, have they been amplified by the storytellers to create fear mongering and even be cruel? Uh, Sadly, even today in newspapers, if a newspaper features an ancient forest burning somewhere and there's a rape case, which article gets the most prominent headlines and readership? It's very sad, but I think this has been passed down. Anyway, perhaps some comment. I'm going to leave that bit. Some comments on that with the nature interpretation uh, and with the slants. So we've obviously going through the three trays of the uh, bard, Started with a melancholy there. So let's go to something jolly. Last uh, Saturday, I uh, joined the COVID session. I mentioned no one got cave in Roth, Prong, Roth Common. And perhaps his best connection to his uh, Morrigan and um, Raven stories. So perhaps I should attempt to explain the one got cave, the cave of the cats itself. Let's go back for a, a revision of that uh, here. That's inside. The cat stories I've heard linked to this, I feel have, they're very weak stories, and they've been created as entertainment by storytellers after hearing the name Cave of the Cats. And of course, it's very popular on Facebook right now. But I believe translating Owen got to Cave of the Cats was quite clumsy. And as often said, these old names were formed to describe conditions, not things like cats. Um, so, Oi, part of it. Well, that's definitely fitting for a cave because it, re it refers to a container situation. Look at that inside. To me, that's like a container. You're going into it and uh, you go deep down into it. 
So to me, that's that's the only bit sorted out. And then the gut. Though it's a description of a sort of a, a gauntlet, uh, obstacles to get through maybe, uh, it's the obstacles, perhaps obstacles that you need to get through, things you might need to let go to get to the connection of the other world. And if anybody's been down on a gap, there are obstacles, uh, stones to get down, mud, lots of mud, um, and uh, pools. So as I say, it's a... It's a, it's, this is I want to get is a major subject because a lot of people say this is what sparks the Sawan. Well, this is what sparks the Halloween. So not only is Alan Tracken referred to in one got Sawan stories, but also and perhaps more so the deeds of what you would say a lot of people say Morrigan, as most people call today when we go to the storytelling. And of course, last week I covered. The various names, Morrigan, Morrigu, Mori, Gronje, Oronje, and my favorite, the Morna Korakuan. So, anyway, I'm not going to go further on it because I really went through that last Sunday, didn't I? But what I did do last uh, Sunday is there was this lovely poem by Linda Rosewood about Ornagot. And uh, it seems I, I fumbled through it because I had to, oh, where is she? And she couldn't get here, so I fumbled for a copy. I read through it, and she reminded me that I only read about half of it. So I'm absolutely delighted to have the return of uh, Linda Rose, which she's actually got through this week. Here we go. And many of you loved when Susan shared a poem with us before. So here we are. Uh, here's Linda, who's going to offer her wonderful poem. Hello, Linda. Hi, John. Uh, I better put my headphones on to make sure I can hear what you've got to say. Because <laughs> we had headphones. Now I wonder if I can hear you. Say hello yeah. and see what happens. Oh, Hi. you're very clear. Fantastic. Um, yes, Linda, Ornagot. Fire away. Tell me what you feel about Ornagot. Hey, I oh, found sorry. this. Oh, but the... But the um... Can you see this? This is a bit it. of oh yes. This is <laughs> mud from the inside of the cave. A friend of mine gave that to me. She didn't take it with her from the cave. It was on her clothes, and then she collected it and gave that mud to me. But that's what it looks like. If anyone's curious, you ready? Oh yes! I introduce the poem. Fire away. I'm just sitting back here relaxing and hearing your story. All right. Oonagat. I entered the cave of the Corvid Queen. Her ladies waited in pines, calling back, back, back. Doughty I undressed, crouched and bent, my bare feet finding a fissure and a stone. They tell me that stone shouts out a man's name, but in here, women will whisper. Down into the dark and wet, sliding and holding, deep and in, bare feet finding, stones and rocks and mud and magic. At the bottom lies one sharp rock to lean on, high above, too far for fingers touch the arch, a fornix, a vault, a chamber. Here I waited in the dark, not to die, not to rot, but to speak at last. With the Corvid Queen. I entered the cave of the Corvid Queen on a young winter's night when fires burn unbanked, welcoming home beloved dead. 
I opened my ears and attended her voice, as clear as you hear my voice right now. Join my people and eat our food, dance to our music, sleep in our beds. So spoke the Corvid Queen, and I crossed into her cabin, not dark, but golden with firelight and bright with loving eyes, hot meat, warm bread, cold ale. I danced with the daughters of the Corvid Queen and sang with her sons. They dressed me in plaid woolen shawls and smooth leather boots. In one night I lived a long lifetime, welcomed to the cabin of the Corvid Queen. Near dawn my friends fell around me, sleeping and fading from sight. I gave gratitude like a good guest, made to leave and never return. Take me with you, said the Corvid Queen. Take me to the western edge of the western island where a palace faces the sun at the bend in the river. Bring me where the fires burn and the mountains move. Take me to my crow women of tree and sea. Long ago, my teachers taught me, sing and dance, dare even to eat, but never make a bargain with the Corvid Queen. I took one step in my smooth leather boots, but they dried to dust, my toes stuck in the muck. No shawl neither, no cabin warm, nor meat, nor bread, nor ale. Just me alone in a cold cave, my naked skin gray against stones. I tore my feet from the clenching mud and twisted my flesh from the sanctuary's shelf. I aimed to clamber the rocky slope toward air and light and the winter's evening. Back, 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 called the Corvid Queen. Take me with you. Back, back, back. You danced, you sang, you took my meat, bread and ale. She flew in my face, black wings flashing, her dark cloak soaked in blooded waters. My heart in my neck, my knees scraping raw, I bolted away from her commanding call. Halfway up, I heaved too high, struck my forehead and left my blood. My unfeeling hands like claws, I dragged onward and there, light at last. Back, 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 she called from below, but I left her bereft in her Corvid cave. On the 1st of November, I returned to my home, to the western edge of the western island, safe home to my palace facing the sun at the bend in the river. Here I remember the Corvid queen and her ladies waiting in pines, calling back, back, back. Oh, wow. Big applause there. Thanks very much for that, Linda. And last week, after me, uh, probably no, it was, last week, no, it, it was, was my fault. You did well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's nothing like having that. These poems of yours, where do these poems go? Uh, I'm, I, I was looking up. Do you, is there a website, a book, or a blog that oh, people um, can get to? I, uh, I have a blog that I, it's basically just uh, my uh, letters home to my friends in Santa Cruz while I'm living in Ireland. Um, maybe I, I should put it up on your website or something, um, but it's called After Santa Cruz at Blogspot. And uh, it just talks about back in the before times when we could travel around Ireland and um, just my reflections on Irish culture and the adventures I have and sacred places I go to and that sort of thing. So. Um, I did write about this poem in the blog. So if you're interested in some of the references to it and why I said certain things in the poem, and since every word of it is true, then you might want to just learn more about it. 
Oh, that's great. Because I'm going to put a link uh, when the show is finished. I'll put a link for now oh, to people to follow up. So that's all. Yeah, uh, I think some of the people that like your show might like be interested in the same things that I write about in my blog. You know, Sheila I bet they will. and Sacred Wells and Crows and. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to when you can. We've got a subject you can come back, and I'm sure there's going to be Me plenty. Too. The one you. thing uh, that also strikes out is that classical vintage wallpaper behind you. <laughs> that, that's a gorgeous <laughs> packing. I love it's it. It's beautiful. It looks yeah. really good in firelight. I I love it. It's very cozy. How is Donegal uh, at the moment? Donegal is uh, pretty fierce out there it's it's like there's a cutting wind and it's it's been pretty uh blowy all day but we love it we didn't come here for the weather of course not well maybe it did but in a different kind of way <laughs> not to sunbathe it anyway it was lovely <laughs> lovely you, uh, to have you as a guest i'm gonna move on because there is a lot on yes, today see you later i can't wait to get you back again so yes. thanks very much thanks Great. Uh, at last, uh, Linda there. And I'll get these mugs off because uh, I don't need that now. There we go. And I'm going to move on to I talked about where the triple-headed dragon went to two places. Let's go on to Tlacta. Tlacta. There we go. There's a, an overhead picture. Gorgeous picture. And um, that's from Mystical Island. Um, I'm going to have to put a link to that um, a uh, lovely uh, author, writer. If you look up uh, Mystical Island, you get lots of photographs uh, like that. Uh, Robert Murphy, isn't it? Uh, Anthony Murphy. Anyway, that's from Mystical Island. Uh, and he puts his drone up there and gets these phenomenal uh, photographs. So I'll carry on. You know, I could admire this all day. Now you're going to, uh, but anyway, to like, uh, and, um, <clears throat> Stories of uh, Talaka really, are that, they're the heart of the sacred flame. So we go to one of my photos. There we go. Uh, there's no flame there. That's just sort of in the mist. But it's one of these sacred flame places that we have reverence to, uh, reverence at, uh, at, around Sawan, before Sawan, through Sawan. Uh, but there's a lot of people, they know of the sacred flame of Sawan, but they haven't heard of the... Talakka's name, which I'm, uh, I think it's throat's dry or something. Anyway, Talakka it is. So the hill of Talakka, it's, um, which is, that's the hill in the fog. It's near a town called, small town called Abboy uh, in County Meath. Uh, it's very easy to miss the hill because it has uh, an incredible roots tradition. As I say, some people do call this the birth of Sawan, whereas others will say the Ornagat is. And some will actually say, well, Talatka is the origin of Halloween. Now, next week, I'll be going through traditions. And from what I say today, I think you'll be able to knit it and tie it to uh, Talatka as well as to Tara. Now, the hill of Talatka is 12 miles from the hill of Tara. And a Sawan Fire Festival way may well have already been hosted. You, I don't know if they did this year, but they have a big thing on uh, the 31st of October. And uh, there's a sort of sacred flame business there. There we go. And uh, this has probably been going on at this site at some date, maybe not the, uh, well, definitely not the October the 31st or 31st of October. I'm going to explain that in a minute. 
But something has been going on in this site definitely since the time of the Tour de Dom and maybe as far back as three and a half thousand years ago. And there's been some archaeological digs there that's confirmed fires have been there for thousands of years, ceremonial fires. Well, the origin of the jack and lantern we it may well have started here. There's some jack and lanterns and it uh, may well have started here uh, at Talaka, well before the stingy Jack story, if you're familiar with that. I'm not telling it. might tell it next week. And because these, uh, this was a time where people carried fire away before there were rutabagas, swedes, turnips, before they were cultivated. And certainly uh, thousands of years before pumpkins were ever seen on this island. So, as I say earlier, uh, during the past two Sundays, I've talked about the three-headed dragon, Eileen, breathing fire on this hill. And uh, there may be a story of lighting of the sacred fire. As I say, the origin, it's the question is the origin. But the important thing about the origin of Halloween is one of the traditions here was people taking away, I think people even now when they hold a celebration, they're allowed to take away some of the embers and take them away to their homes. Um, and, uh, and they would carry them away in some kind of carved vessel that allows a bit of oxygen so the flame keeps going, but not too much. And in a vessel like the jack-o'-lanterns today, and here's one here that's uh, made with turnip. When I, I, I never really knew about uh, pumpkins for Halloween until I was living in the USA in the 90s because I'd always used turnips. Everybody I knew always curved these big turnips, the big Swedes, the big rutabagas. And uh, so as soon as I came back, Scotland and Ireland, they were using pumpkins. So there was a lot of things that changed in the 90s. People started drinking bud. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a lot more Coca-Cola. And Halloween was a whole different ball game. Uh, uh, through the 90s. Anyway, move along here. There's some stories telling of the embers actually going from the hill to the hill of Tara first. And I'll explain that when I talk about Tara next week because hill of Tara is the place of the high kings. So the stories are he's got to get his embers first and their family before the embers are distributed uh, through the island uh, with the island leaders. And these island leaders uh, from the different regions, loosely called Druid, and uh, just for your fun and entertainment to uh, connect it all together, here is a Druid-y type person with a modern pumpkin taking it off to wherever he is a kind of Druid of. Anyway, that's, that gives you sort of modern imagery. This is the way we've, that's the way we've interpreted it now, isn't it? Uh, anyway, I would like to speak about uh, Talakka's father before I talk about Talakka herself. Uh, there's Tara. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, and again, that's another one of those mystical island pictures, isn't it? I love that. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week in the traditions. But I thought it was nice to see because it's, it might be the first embers went to that court there. We'll see. Anyway, let's get on with uh, Talakka's father. There he is, uh, right there in the imagery of him known as Mug Ruth, and I'm going to try and uh, bring up uh, some spellings. There's some spellings there. There he is. Um, 
said to be a world traveler, and his stories are very similar to Merlin, the uh, from the uh, King Arthur fame. I'm, I'm fumbling around with the buttons again, and uh, the dating of uh, Mugruth is very awkward. Uh, stories uh, put Talaka as being a Firbolg pre-Tour de Donan story person. But Mugruth, um, no, I got the wrong, uh, sorry, I brought the wrong banner up for you. And I, come on, let's get into the swing of it. There you go. No, that's, that's even earlier. There's Talaka just in cages. I thought I had these different spellings here. Let's have a look. I thought I had, I must have some spellings of the old man. There he is. There we go. That's it. That's it. Now you know what I'm talking about. There's Mugruth. Sometimes Magruth as well. And you might be familiar with the Mugroyth, uh, who is, um, I think, sort of known as a kind of druid of Cormac McCart. Uh, I think I'll talk about him a bit later anyway. Anyway, Mugroyth's stories, uh, as well as put him in the vert, uh, the um, third world time, especially Talaka, he's been placed in the Iron Age, and he's even been a student of Simon Magus in 1480. And I'm going to show some kind of pictures of that in a moment. I haven't been to see, say hello to you. Uh, so I'm going to do that for a couple of minutes. Let's have a look. <laughs> uh, there's Paul saying, so one goes on till May. I'll, I'll leave talking about that until next week. But you're right. Uh, the two oldest um, ceremonies, fire ceremonies, are Beltaner and some Sawan, and even Beltaner, I've some story told them, uh, or a couple of them way back in the past have told me about uh, Beltaner even having the name of Sahan. So you've got Sahan and Sawan, and that formed a polarity. And so some people today, uh, in the sort of holistic way, they say there's a dark side and a light side. But we think like that, don't we? We put boundaries between things and we don't consider the way that they morph to each other. A yin and yang type of thing. But, uh, yeah, Paul, uh, thanks for saying that. That's, uh, that's quite a good – that is a good point to bring out. Um, and we got good morning from Terrelling. Lovely to see you here. And uh, there's uh, Shelley. Good day to you here. Uh, Rebecca, lovely to see you join in. Thank you. And Chandler, who we're going to feature later, she loved having uh, Linda on. Fantastic. Uh, Corvid Queen is a uh, Donna's a fan of the Corvid Queen here. Uh, great, and uh, she loved that. And uh, who we got here? We got Celine from Fermanagh. We got someone nearby. Lovely, thank you. Howard's on the show. Howard, we're going to have to have you live on actual live uh, in County. Ross Common, Howard's going to be on. We got, as I say, he's got a song later, but we're going to drag him on live, uh, definitely, uh, and say hello to you. Uh, and anyway, good morning, Gwen. Uh, great to see you uh, as well. And uh, oh, a neighbor's on board, Denise. Hello, Denise. Ah, <laughs> lovely. I we need to get your poems on here too, Denise. Beautiful uh, poems. We got Leah. So we, we've got a lovely uh, bunch of you on this sort of 1st of November. So anyway, I better get uh, 
back uh, and so we can get to, to Lacta. Now, I, what have I put up for you here? I, I'm trying to get the banner down uh, so we get the full pictures here. Uh, there we go. And we're, we're on to the mug, Ruth. Uh, there he is. Uh, I had, oh, there's the first story of him. Anyway, I'm going to move on to this one. Uh, that's the first one I had of you. And I told, uh, told about Simon Magger in the 1440 AD. And like uh, Breda, uh, Breda de uh, our humans, is, humans seem to have taken on stories of the gods and the goddesses. And it isn't something they've done themselves. It's like the people who follow them say, you're living the life that we know of the goddess of the god. And so I think that's uh, how they got their name. Uh, people were named by other people because they can relate them to the stories they know of the ancient goddesses and gods. And today, I think we think about gods and goddesses, gods and goddesses, as images that we worship. Whereas I firmly believe myself in ancient times that because they were markers of the seasons of the weather, it was like as if they were like tools. You know, these images were essential tools for understanding what was going on. Certainly, there would be reverence, but I think we worship because. The way we live, we've got all these comforts and we've got clocks and uh, we know dates and stuff. They didn't back then. So this was, to me, it was kind of irreverent. Now, the one common thread with the Mugruth stories is they all seem to have the ability to fly. Uh, there's, I don't know if that's Mugruth, but actually that comes from a Mugruth story. It came from the same period as there he is. Uh, that's actually a, supposed to be a picture of the young Magruth who's actually getting the healing uh, from Simon Magus. But I'm not going to go into his story. It's sort of a, a, it's a kind of a, a rebel uh, Christian story because Simon Magus certainly got onto the wrong side of the Christians, as you might know if you looked at that, into that uh, stuff. So let's get rid of him for now. Um, but... Um, the variations of McGruth names and the various spellings, uh, they come up with variations like in translation, as he who spins around as a devotee of a... We are, and I came across this diagram, which is supposed to have somehow been passed down uh, from medieval times. It looks too perfect for that. Anyway, it was, I was told it was passed down. And uh, so for McGruth to be a person of um, a devotee of the wheel and especially of things that go round, I think that makes him a lovely target and a great fascination for the ancient flying saucer theory fans. Or simply, it's because he was a wide man, wise man and named for being a wise man because he understood the wheel of the year and could guide people through the wheel of the year. Uh, that's uh, one I can go along with perhaps a bit more than the flying saucers. Certainly, there are questions in ancient times. So that's way beyond this Sunday session. Anyway, there was also this Mogroith, uh, or Reg Mogruth, Rith, Mogruth. I'm going to have to get these pronunciations right. It's this dry mouth. And he was of the time of the Cormac MacArt. Now, Cormac MacArt, he was born just three miles, uh, three kilometers, two miles away from here, Karakori, 
And Cormac went on to become the longest serving High King of Ireland. And Cormac Macart, well, he was the closest chieftain or king that brought the island of Ireland together. Uh, but we're going beyond Simus Magus' time. We're going to around 200 AD with this. So again, these are tales for another session. And um, we'll be explaining a bit why even Cormac Magart wasn't uh, that successful in his quest. Anyway, let's. Magruth traveled around the world, met up with Simon Magus. They said he traveled around with his daughter, Talaka. And I love this image of Talaka uh, in a lovely, dreamy, gothic image of Talaka roaming around the world on a horse uh, on her mule. And during this time, this woman that was called Talaka, or taken on the name of uh, Talaka, had learned the advanced wisdoms of nature, seasons, and mathematics, and said to have learned all of these from her father. And sadly, it is said, it's another rape story, it's said that she was raped by the three sons of Simon Magus in 40 AD. And she gave birth to three sons on her return to Erin. So there's a, an artist's impression of a situation that uh, Talaka was into. It seems to be a mishmash of the, the dragons. It's an imagery. I think it's to arouse a mood anyway. We go from that to the birthplace that we call Talaka today. And that's an, a lovely aerial view. And it's said that um, she died during the birth of these, of, of the babies, of the three babies that she gave birth to after being raped by the three sons of Simon Magus. And they said these sons also naturally inherited the wisdoms of their mother and of their grandfather, uh, the Magroith, and uh, became long-term, we might say, archdruids these days, or the equivalent anyway, when, however you looked at it. And this, they were kind of doing their druidry stuff in Munster, Leinster, and Connell. And they got some names, and I think I've got some names on the uh, banners here. There they are. That, that was the three names. Now, these are the 40 AD, 41 AD lads, Dorva, Kumar, and Muak. Uh, so that's the names there, in case you want to quickly grab those down, uh, if you're absolutely fascinated by that. So when it comes down to it, really, this uh, 40 AD uh, incident, unfortunate incident with Simon Magus, is very much related to the much more ancient Firbolg Talaka story. Uh, the ancient Talaka story is a life. Her story, the Talaka, is said that she was actually a, a woman being, a very powerful, very strong woman uh, that also had a life of clearing away the forest to create farmland and teaching people the seasons as well. So her story is very similar to the Lunas' story of Lou's foster mother, Teochu, both doing the same sort of job, which seems pretty horrific, you know, the, uh, clearing the forests, <laughs> because Ireland was pretty much covered. Uh, it was a forest terrain, um, but uh, these incomers that came in, they were, they were farmers, and that's what they did. They weren't the hunter-gatherer type. So these characters from the Tour de Danon and even the Furbolgs 
were land clearers, and somehow they became goddesses of that. Now, the ancient Talatka, sadly, was also a rape story, but this time it was the sons of Turin. And uh, the sons of Turin were, they were sons of the imposter king Braze, who, if you go know the stories, he was kind of the leader of the Tour de Dan and that caused, through his deeds, the second battle of Moitura, and was kind of half a morium, so he was kind of on their side too, very complicated. And again, it said that these sons too uh, were born in, uh, on Talaka, and they, this time they didn't survive. They died in childbirth. No, a Talaka child. What am I on about? Talaka died in childbirth this time, and when she actually died, she evolved into being a goddess of the land. But these three sons who were born at this time, they weren't druidy types. They actually became chieftains of Munster, Connaught, and Brefni. Uh, so the story tells, or the storytellers tell. Now, the Connaught home of the chieftain of Connaught was said to be, if I've got a picture here, of uh, Rathner in Castle Rear. Do you know, I've made a, an awful mistake. This is, this is Rathner. See how Rathner is much more better formed than, um, I don't know if I can pull it up again, than we saw. Now, that's Tara. Let's do some comparisons here. There you go. You look here. There we go. That's uh, Talaka. That's the one at Meath uh, that's near Adboy. So I go back to the, because uh, there's such a lot of pictures today. So that is Rathra. See how they uh, well formed. This is sort of a ground picture. See Incredible formation. A lot of people don't know where this is. It's actually near Castle Rear, uh, not far outside. Uh, it's quite magnificent and very difficult to get on photographs and great for the wildflowers. Uh, lovely to get there. There's enough parking for two people if you actually, two cars if you get there. Anyway, Talaka's name. It translates into something like uh, Earth Spear. Um, and again, we need to speculate what's the condition this is describing. It's thought to be lightning. But how this is different to the full breeder name, uh, which Bridiog uh, Nasayad, which translates the fiery arrow. The common thread seems to be the both Talaka breeder and Moka, which Maka, uh, which I'm going to be talking about very soon. They originated as fiery goddess images. And I got this lovely. Uh, lightning on the oak, if I can actually find it. I would love to uh, share with you somewhere here. Uh, let's see if I can get this in the picture catalogue. It's a huge bit of that picture catalogue today, isn't it? Uh, I hope I didn't accidentally send it off. And there it's in here. Uh, come on, fiery. No, I think I might have bumped it off accidentally. That's unfortunate. Oh, there it is. There you go. And then I think it's incredible, that lightning on the oak. It's really sunlight, but it's very impressive. Uh, I love that photograph. Anyway, I'm glad we find that one. To give you a nice imagery of these fiery goddesses. Now, the goddess images, they seem to have a way of explaining something that's going on with each of the seasons they're related to. We've got the Mokka and Talaka now, and we have uh, Breeder for uh, Imbo. Now, human people seem to have named these goddesses, seem to have become named after these goddesses, even back in those ancient times. So 
if there was a, key, a woman that was a keeper of the fire, a woman of healing, a woman of similar deeds of the stories related to the goddesses, as I've said already, they ended up acquiring that name and they lived in the human image of that goddess story. Um, anyway, they're all very different stories, really, Breeders, Thlacker and Molka, but eventually they all end up as sacred fire stories. Now, going back to Eileen as the uh, sacred dragon story, I love going back to this, of course. Uh, the dragon that came out of the Ornagot's caves at Sawan with a copper-headed birds, and she blasted fire from her breath over the hills of Talaka and Maka. Now, imagine lightning, as I say, refer to these goddesses of lightning. Imagine the lightning coming out of the clouds, the way the clouds shape sometimes just before the lightning comes out. I think it's very easy to imagine these clouds with the lightning taking on the shape of dragons. Have you seen clouds that actually take on the shape of dragons? I certainly have, and breathing down. There's one here, I've got a nighttime one. They haven't quite formed a dragon, but you get something like that. And there are certain conditions, I think, where you're going to believe that that is forming a dragon that's coming nearer, don't you think? A dragon that's coming nearer. And if there's lightning that comes from that, whoa, that's the dragon putting some light and uh, over there. And you must realize that so one time, this was a time when the mead was ready. So there was a lot of mead drinking going on and also magic mushroom consuming. Uh, so I imagine after having a few hornfuls of that and uh, ladies not caught out, there we are, the women with their uh, mead horns as well. Imagine uh, with that, the imagery and visions that come out, especially the type of drinks they would have made there. And I think uh, some of these stories well and truly uh, would have come from that. And now this brings me back to the idea of the witch going around on a broomstick, the so-called witches that were looked upon to serve prophecies upon us, especially at this time. And uh, to enhance their prophecies, it said they also used mushrooms and powerful herbs. Now, these, uh, to these are very toxic. Some of the stuff they handle, the mushrooms and herbs, very toxic. If we consume them, some of these things, uh, suddenly our inner organs will start dismantling, a stomach especially, and we'd be gone. We'd, we'd cross the veil, and that's it. We couldn't come back. So what it is said through story is they actually pushed these substances into them anally uh, with the help of a broomstick, and this made them get high, uh, hence the vision of a witch zipping around on a broom. And uh, I, this brings me to this. This is one that possibly went, didn't quite work out quite right. Um, I'll, let, I'll let you ponder over that one for a moment. Anyway, <laughs> uh, another thing is the cackle of a witch as she zips around on the broom. Um, at, this time, at this time of the year, the whooper swans come in from Iceland and Greenland. They were actually much earlier this year. And uh, they, leave the, they seem to fly in on a moonlit night or on a misty day. And usually when they come in, you can't see them. But the one thing you hear is the cackle of them. And I, there's a lovely photo there. Uh, those are the whooper swans, in case you're not sure what they look like. And they, they actually form V formations. Uh, so that's where I think you get the cackle. 
So the ancient origin stories would have changed so much from these oral versions. There are these natural visions, and then there's the medieval scribe versions that are written down. They would have changed from the oral visions, which was what was people seeing and feeling around them, especially after they had that made. And uh, so you've got the scribe versions and a lot of scaremongering stories out of that. And then that all changed really when the printed versions came out. Printed presses got very inexpensive early 19th century and you got the famous um you got the famous uh, broadsheets and the come out celtic romantic years people you would get together they get these broadsheets on the, the street mm, i'll get my friends together we can have a lovely social we can have a lovely uh kaylee around this so they would reenact what they're reading the broadsheets and share the stories and again after mead whiskey ale whatever they had the stories would flourish and become something different. Uh, so the biggest changes, I think, to storytelling has happened through these digital years since the website booming in the 90s, where websites came up, people trying to collect these stories, but they would change quite again because of the digital fluidity. And then, of course, it's been much more so through the social media, media booming years of these past 15 years. Do you know... The way I hear stories now, they're very, very different to how they were told to me when I was a child. And I probably find that I'm telling them different myself now. Anyway, I'm going to uh, catch up with you for a moment here before we move on. Let's see what we got. Uh, yeah, you're giving lovely comments today. Whoa, we're going on. The Rebecca's here. Gwen's saying, goodness, she's, she's just shocked. Uh, Lawrence uh, here. Happy so on. That is very good. And Dublin, there we go. Uh, no, no, Claire. There we, uh, there we go. Um, Lamer's back. Great. Elise, good morning. Portland. Star Regan, good morning. Dark half of the year. Health, yes, half. I suppose I've been a bit mean on my sort of wishes, and I kind of, I love the. Cross-quarter Sawan. I love where you got that point of Sawan, which is happening this year on the 7th. So to me, this is still a bit of a warm-up. Actually, it won't be a warm-up because we've got some clear frosty mornings coming towards the end of next week by the looks of it. But yes, people are trying to enjoy themselves under the conditions. So here's my warm welcome and blessings. And it is getting darker, as I was saying this morning, uh, that our we're uh, sunsets before five o'clock here now, as from uh, today. So that's certainly uh, the case. So where am I? Um, let's. I would like to talk a little bit about the ceremony, really, that happens on Talaka. I did flash a kind of picture, thinking, "What's that?" And it seems that uh, uh, there are now three different kind of Sawani. Halloween times are celebrated there. But the majority of people that they've adopted to this Gregorian calendar, like most people have. Um, and that's the version of someone that a lot of people follow. And that's what most people know as the Halloween on October the 31st on the Gregorian calendar, the night before Hallows, which uh, 1st of November. And the Gregorian calendar is now... Uh, People have resisted alternatives. It's now what most of the world uses, which is quite amazing. Invented by Pope Gregory, 
the 13th, and he introduced it on Halloween of all times in 1582 AD. So this is the calendar that we're all using to celebrate and honor these ancient times of three, 5,000 years ago from a Pope's calendar that was introduced at Halloween in 1582. I'll let you uh, transcribe that however you wish. <laughs> uh, and this uh, Pope Gregory uh, calendar, it was an attempt to improve on the Julius Caesar calendar. I don't know when he put his together. And equally, that was a mess. The Gregorian calendar, I feel, is a mess. It doesn't relate at all to the solar system. It doesn't relate uh, to our galaxy or the skies. There's no relation to it. Anyway, for a while, you had the Julian uh, calendar, you had the Gregorian calendar, and it became a bit of a, a religious issue. It became a sort of Catholic versus Protestant issue, especially in Scotland, who, well, we're not going over to the Gregorian calendar. Uh, they stuck to the Julian calendar, which is quite amazing because <laughs> they wouldn't let the Romans into Scotland, but they took their calendar. I think that's lovely. Anyway, that, that's what we got. So we got the 31st of October, Gregorian Day. It's the most popular, popular gathering time for people to light and hold reverence to the, the lack of fire, at least. And it has a theater and festival feel. Um, I don't have their sort of theater and festival pictures. Shame. Uh, here's one thing where they're burning the wheel of the year. Uh, I had to frame that kind of special. There you go. And that's at Talatka. That's That was one of the 31st of uh, October celebrations there. And that's the sort of circus that goes on there. Actually, it sounds rude to say circus, but this is it's fun. It's, it's people go for the fun. And it's reverence of being together, and people will be missing that awfully this year. I know. It's a shame. Anyway, I, I still think even from that event, people could go away with uh, embers in a pumpkin or term nip or whatever they've contained that they brought along. Now, the next uh, gathering of reverence, as I was talking about, is at the point, the sidereal point. It's where the sidereal time is referred to. You'd have to look up the procession of the equinoxes to understand this a bit more. But this was actually calibrated thousands of years ago in Babylonian times. It's a very, very accurate calendar, and it does relate to the solar system, galaxy, universal movements. It's actually a bit of a miracle. And then perhaps might not even been seen navigational charts if it wasn't for the Babylonian ways of uh, calibrating. So this goes way back. We have the sidereal time. It's going to be on the seventh. I forget the exact time it's going to be. But anyway, the actual point of Sawan, the exact, this is the exact halfway between the time points of the autumn equinox, fall equinox, and the winter solstice. And a fire ceremony is hosted at the first sunset after the point of the cross-quarter uh, moment. And um, because the cross-quarter moment can be in the middle of daylight, uh, as it is going to be this year. Uh, so the most common dates, to say, is the Gregorian-style 7th of November. And the evening after sunset, and let's have this, maybe you've got a few lovely people celebrating, having a bit of a, a Kaylee metal uh, together like this. Uh, but the one thing this shows is that the... Uh, 5th of November, Guy Fawkes Bonfire Night in England, uh, celebrated annually. Uh, and this was done there 
well before Guy Fawkes trying to blow up the houses of British Parliament. It looks as if this has been around for thousands of years uh, before that. And um, actually, and I'll explain next week, I, they have the, the bonfire, the guy that goes onto the uh, bonfire. I'll talk about this a bit more next week because it's a Tara thing. And I think it originated uh, from Tara, was templated around Wales, and from Wales it managed to spread around England. But as I say, I've come back to that on Sunday. Now, there's a third Sawan uh, ceremony, and this is the first new moon or the dark moon, as some people call it today. And this is the first dark moon or new moon after the papal calendar of 31st of October. Now, this one makes the most sense, really, for most people, because really most ancient people, they couldn't recognize um, when the sidereal point was. It, it, there was a division. There were the educated. They were the elite. They could calculate when exactly the point of someone would... But someone out in the fields, they couldn't do that. So the new moon is something they could recognize. They would know and they would have the rural leaders. And so this is when they would get together to have their reverence for this time. Uh, so that's the new moon uh, uh, sometime in what is now November. So the ceremony itself, do I have, oh, here's something. There we are. There's a, there's a lovely area of the new room bringing the ravens in there. Now, a ceremony starts with the fire, of course, uh, the source of the fire being at Tlaxca. Uh, let's come to them but through the dragon's breath, lightning, match, flint. Anyway, there are two mystical source stories that are told where these two uh, come from. Uh, one's the fire created from rock on the Lambay Island in the Irish Sea just outside the... Boyden River, I think I've got a lovely uh, Lambay. That's Lambay Island there. I'm going to have to move on here, aren't I? This is, as I say, there's such a lot today. And I'm going to get, I've got two more guests to come. Anyway, Lambay is important in ancient times for making axes of the, from the extremely hard and sharp andesite. But that's not, that stuff is not very good for making flints, uh, not making good for making sparks like flint does. But there are a couple of small seams of quartz, and this is a large stone of quartz here. Castle Rudry, uh, out in County uh, Wicklow. And uh, it said the fire was lit then, the Lambay sailed up the Boyne River and then up to the Yellowford River, which is now the town of Atboy. And uh, then they would get off the boat. And then there's this hinge, which is by the river, uh, and it's at the base of what is the hill of Tlaxcala. Uh, but anyway, the river said to the, the sacred fire flame from Laboy was Lambay was carried up the Tlaxcala hill to light the ceremonial fire, and later develop the whole. It was distributed around the country. Now I'm going to actually cut things short because I'm going to have to move a lot of this over to next week. But the other fire origin story is the fire lit to Carmen West on the sleeve in the color. Bearer, sleeve the kayak bearer, knowing as uh, Lockrew to most of you, but it's not uh, where this happens, is not a public access point. But I'm going to show you some pictures of this because Baikalban West is the underground source of the Ford River, and there's this very strange stone circle. I don't have a picture of it, I couldn't find it, but it's uh, it's at its source, 
And then the sunrise after the moment of the Sidereus Sawan, the sun rises over Lambay Island, which you saw a picture of, and then over Cairn M on Carrickbrack. There's an actual Cairn. That's the sunrise just coming up. You can see the little novel there. That's uh, a Cairn. And this is all happening on Cairn West on uh, Lockrew. And then what that does, when that sun comes back over the Cairn there, it lights up the top of the standing stone in Cairn L. Now, said this happens at someone when this happens, and it happens at, uh, at someone, it happens at Imbolc, the same thing because it's the same time. And the fire is lit with some flint or something, and then carried along where the underground uh, Yellowford River flows. And uh, but it's quite a walk to get to where the underground river source is, to where the Yellowford River is actually on the surface and you can put a boat in it. So I'm not sure about that story. Going to have a look closer of it. But uh, when we go to Lactaca, it used to be when you looked at the uh, Ordnance Survey maps, which are our delightful maps, which I've talked about in sessions here, uh, the Ordnance Survey map it used to be labeled the Hill of Ward. It isn't anymore. But uh, look at that one. That's an old Ordnance Survey map. And if you look there, you'll see Atboy to the left, Hill of Ward to the right. Uh, but uh, Ordnance Survey have changed it, and there you can actually see Talaka with a different spelling to what I'm using to the right-hand side there, Ad boy to the left. So really, who was this uh, Ward character? A um, little bit of fascination there. In late 16th century, a landowner called Ward, he took over the land and sadly pulled down a lot of the multi-hench structure. Here's an ancient picture of the multi-hench structure there was Talaka that became the Hill of Ward. He just tore a lot of that down. That's why there's not much of it standing compared to Rathra. So it's not well, it's not that well preserved uh, anymore. But this ward name comes up because there's a ward hill, and this is on Hoy, uh, the only Orkney uh, island that has mountains on it. And this, you, you see the nipple on the top of that. Uh, that's Ward. That's the Hill of Ward. And that is a place, that's a so-on fire spot. And it has been for thousands of years. But they call it Ward Hill. Interesting. There's another one as well that's uh, in South Ronaldsay. It's a flatter one also on the Orkney Islands. So I'm going to close the exploring of Clank with thinking of the main so-on tradition of dousing the flames of the old year to rekindle the new flames of the year ahead. Uh, I'm going to cover this, plus the veil between worlds and the intimate reverence to ancestors, all that stuff next Sunday, and a bit about where the trick-or-treat that's uh, popular in our way originated from. Now, this Sunday session should have been called The Origin of Someone, as I've really been doing. So next week, traditions. But now I've engaged you with quite a lot about the gruesome death of Talatka and the new life births of the three sons there. Uh, and it translates quite a gothic symbolism. Think of it as a transformation from an old fire extinguished, a new flames born to grow and spread and weave new life here around in Ireland. One very intimate tradition of someone time is for people to write affirmations of what they are closing from, from the past year and what they're going to weave into the birth 
of the winter through to the inbolk. Concerns, anxieties that have been compounded, that are lingering, especially anxieties and the holding on that needs forgiveness. It's the time of creating forgiveness and letting go of lusts of revenge. Pull these on paper. That's the tradition. Put all these revenges and and forget, do the forgiving act on the paper and then burn them in the flames of the fire that's about to be extinguished. And to me, that symbolizes the transformation and cleaning. And I'm going to enlarge this further when I talk about Tara next year. And, of course, this is what the churches may call is a confession and washing your sins away. So I sometimes think that the gruesome stories of Talaka and similar horror folklore stories, they motivate us to come out of denial, expose our concerns, then shed them. And by doing so, we can ride the winter, hopefully with a cleansed soul, balanced emotions and enthusiasm for the new life ahead. And there's some soul cleansing uh, going on there. Now I'm going to look at your comments and we've got two guests uh, here. Uh, so let's uh, have a quick look at you here. And I ho hope you don't mind me holding you a bit longer. Uh, 10.56 p.m. Thank you, Gwyn. I thought it was during the day sometime. I've been putting it on my weather report. Uh, but um, I'll check it again uh, from the... Uh, where does Coligny fit in? I'm, I'm going to have to think of that word. Offhand, I, I'm ignorant. Uh, so here we go. That's it. That's the place for the dates indeed. If anybody wants to take that, there's a, it's, it's a very generous uh, facility for getting the exact cross-quartered times for uh, the Imbolc, uh, for, for well, any of the, the eight fire festivals. Have a go at that. Um, Astriarchy.astronomy.com. Uh, Get that one down. That's a, it's a lovely link. Very important one. Uh, very uh, useful. Uh, let's see if there's any other, anybody else is Gwyn here. Thank you, Gwyn, for that. Wonderful. Uh, Keith's here. Hello, Keith. Uh, greetings to you. Uh, and Rebecca, of course. Wonderful. Right. So I'm going to. Uh, Move along very quickly in this overtime here. I hope you don't mind me uh, hanging on a little bit longer because I see two guests uh, who've been, they're fabulous. I shouldn't let them wait this long, but it's just how we fit on. I haven't really spoke of them in Macca. I would like to talk a little bit about that. And I want to prove the, well, we can't just have the South. I'm in Macca, the North. It's up there in Ulster, County of Amar. Its name was derived from Macca's name. And you're very pleased to know that Macca's is a more pleasant story. It's not exactly a rape story, but what happened was three lads are said to have tried to have a go with her. It said that Macca, as a goddess, became a human, and she traveled from Ulster with the curiosity of what had happened, what was happening south of Ben Bourbon here in County Sligo. And Macca was looking for three of the five sons of this poor beer, high king of Ulster, uh, these three sons, they were reckless. They were they had ravaged Ulster uh, just from their greed, their gluttony, uh, just a bunch of big bullies. 
And they were now fugitives of Ulster, and they'd come this side of Ben Bourbon. So Mucker in her human form, she dressed as a leper, and she went this side of Ben Bourbon, and she found the uh, three sons. They were the size of Ben Bourbon, of course, and they were at campfire roasting boar that they'd just caught. And boar is popular in folklore stories near Ben Bourbon. Look into the folklore stories. Uh, you'll find an, a few boar ones that we might bring out from time to time. Dermot and Groinia for one. Anyway, the three lads welcome the leper mocker, uh, mocker, mocker, I'm getting late, and fed her. And uh, one lamb pointed it out uh, to his brothers. And Mako had uh, beautiful, passionate eyes. And these lusted him to have his way with us. Here we go. Sounds like the rape story again. So this one brother drubbed Mako into the forest with his lusting intent. But he underestimated her huge strength. She quickly rode rope from rush grasses and and tied the lusty lad to a tree. <laughs> and then Mucka returned to the Mucka returned to the uh, other two brothers, and they asked, where's the, the third one? And she said, he was so overwhelmed and embarrassed from laying with, lusting with a leper woman, uh, that he didn't want to come back, and uh, he was too, too embarrassed to see brothers. Anyway, one of the two uh, other brothers, he also looked into her eyes and felt a lust, and so he thought he would have a go. So he, he dragged her off to the woods. Same thing happened to him. He got tied up. She came back. But next, happened with the third brother. I'm just rushing it through. So all the three, they're all tied up. And Maka, with her vast strength, she grabbed these three brothers from the tree, dragged them back to Ulster, took them north of Ben Bourbon again. And all the Ulster people, they wanted their revenge. They wanted these three brothers burned um, and uh, to suffer. And especially the additional story of here and how they tried to have their way, their exclusive way with their precious fire goddess. But Margaret said, no, I've got other plans for these three. Now, to backpedal it a little, Margaret was, uh, as I say, the fire goddess. Um, now, I'll skip that and talk about it next. But we talk about the dragon bring, uh, setting fire. Let's see if I've got a Maka, uh picture for you. Then you know what we're talking about. There we go. Very elegant. This is up there, up uh, in Amar. Um, and that's what, that's what we're talking about. A huge, wonderful place to visit, also known as Navan Fort. So that gives you an idea of what we're talking about here. Um, so to carry on with the Maka and the three brothers, she took a gold pin that was around her neck, and she used it to mark out a few circles around uh, this hill, she marked out, uh, 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 so she enslaved these three brothers to build the walls. I don't think I got a wall picture, unfortunately. Anyway, to build these walls that went up the hill and so that uh, she could re reside inside the hill, but above the hill was where the Ulster, Ulster chieftains would be sitting, and it's where they lived where she would be below. And the gold pin, and I'm trying to find a banner here to give uh, the various spellings for you, because this would be uh, quite useful, because here we go. This is where the uh, name, name building comes along. There you go. Because the gold pin was a moon. And a moon and maca. Moon and maca, and that phrase is what became Emanmaka. So that's how the name of the place came about. A little bit uh, 
of extra info there uh, for you. Anyway, they 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 were enslaved. The brothers, uh, the the cruel brothers, and uh, being enslaved uh, to build the forties, you might say, to build the walls, going up, spiraling up. Uh, what they call the Navan Fort now, but it's really to be a sacred fireplace of the hill. The chieftain would oversee the fireplace, and then when the three brother, brothers had complete that completed that task, they were actually invited to lay with Maka down in that hill for the conception, the grand conception of midwinter, very similar to the Doida and the Morrigan stories that are around here. And I was watching a TED talk uh, about the behavior of crows a few days ago. You may remember that I mentioned in the crows, ravens, and Morrigan uh, stories last week, uh, the conception of midwinter. Now, in that TED talk, a scientist uh, observed the reaction of crows, and when the group died, they held a ceremony around the dead crow, and they started squawking, and then they went very quiet. But then when the squawking, they also started getting lusty and started copulating. So through that image of that, it may show, uh, it might seem grotesque, but we can't deny the instant symbolism of the old flame extinguished, the new fire kindled, and the whole story of the midwinter grand conceptions. I'll come back to that. Uh, there's, a, there's a huge Scorpio link. I'd love to have had time to talk to you about that. I've run out of time on that one. Anyway, from the seeds of the three brothers, Maka became the mother goddess uh, in the hill there, and the kings and queens of families of Ulster were all born from there, there on. But uh, at that time and before, the Ulster people, the Ruads, the whole island of Ireland never, ever united. Uh, there was always Ben Bowen or somewhere to the north. And, you know, that's never happened today. Uh, there's never, ever been a united island of Ireland. Yet Eileen, the three-headed dragon, pours fire on Talaka, pours fire on Emimaka, but the two don't come together. It's an intriguing thing. North and south, two fires never quite broke together. I wish I could have talked more about that. I'm really pushing this through. But I want to get on to Chandler, Chandler Nichols. Sorry for giving me a waiting, waiting as you're watching here. Is Chandler introducing her poem for today. Absolutely beautiful. I'm going to share with you today a dream I had and a poem that I wrote about this dream and Salwyn. As I was walking to my little glade area here in the woods, um, I found a bunch of mistletoe that had been blown down from a tree. Um, so this was a good find and I'm just gonna hold on to this while I uh, do my poem. So um, I also brought my dog. <laughs> but in this dream, I was in a cottage of sorts and the entire back side of this cottage was windows. And so I could look out and see outside, but it was, it was very dark. Right outside, there was a stream, very clear, very beautiful with smooth runstones. And I was looking at the stream when all of a sudden a fog rolled in. And I couldn't see beyond the stream, but then out of the mist came a hound, a very large hound. And it was white with red ears and red eyes and not all too friendly looking. It was snarling and warning me not to pass any further. And of course, uh, this was a fairy hound. The hound would snarl at me, but it could not pass through the windows. It could not come inside. But shortly after the hound appeared, a whole parade of forms came out of the mist. And they were beautiful, all sizes, some like you and me, 
some of it's smaller. Perhaps they were fairies or if not that, maybe spirits, um, ancestors visiting. They passed me by. Some of them would look my direction, some would not. There were a few that actually came inside. Um, one of them was an old man and the other was a young boy. And the young boy handed me a bough and on this bough grew an apple and a flower. And of course, this might have very well been a passage to the fairy realm, but I kindly refused and sent him well on his way and he went on. So they continued to pass by and very last the hound followed them through and that was it. And very uh, reminiscent of the, the wild hunt, which of course occurs on Samhain, when perhaps the fairies or our ancestors or the spirits return to this earth as the veil is thin. So with that in mind, um, in the wild hunt in Samhain, I'm going to read to you a poem I wrote based on this dream and I do hope you enjoy. Salwan winds are blowing now. I feel no more with the earth but beyond. The music comes alive with the wavering boughs and the bonfires on the hillsides. Through the wildest mist and moor, lit by the moonlight colors cool and warm, the spirits dance around us for they travel to our world this night. Parades of them pass neath the moon, ethereal and haunting, what a delight. One hands us a bough of apple and bloom, guided by the hounds of the night. Where are you going, red and black hound, with your coat of shadow and your eyes of fire? Run with your rider out from the mound, hunting the souls of the lost. Come to the table and taste the wine. Fill your plate with colcannon and bread. Warm yourself by the fireside and leave a chair empty for me. Welcome home, the bloodline old. The veil is thin and they may come. Listen to the stories they once told that blow now in Samhain winds. Feed them well with love and light, with bellies full and hearts fuller to tread the earth on this sacred night before the hunter calls. But where are you going, red and white hound, with your coat of moonlight and eyes of fire? Run with your rider back to the mound, carrying the souls of the found. I'm going to mention a tradition that I, I do enjoy doing to honor those ancestors that might visit us on, on Samhain night. And uh, that is to have a feast to share with family and friends and always to set a plate with an empty chair for those who may be passing through so that they may come and dine and join us for, for a very special night. Um, so I do wish you very special Samhain blessings and um, I pray that your ancestors or perhaps the fairies maybe will come and visit you this night. And uh, <laughs> Samhain blessings to you. Ah, great. That was lovely to have Chandler again. Thank you. Thank you again, Chandler. So I'm going to race through what's coming up. Next week, it was going to be our um, lighted labyrinth uh, for the Samhain, and there's a couple of pictures uh, for that. And I was also uh, a couple of flashes on that. And B. Smith was going to be with us, but she couldn't get on live. She couldn't get a video done. She couldn't get uh, audio done. All kinds of jinxes. And and after all that, if she had come on, we probably couldn't have had her. So we'll try and get the B, uh, B. Smith on next week and uh, for the Sawan gathering where the tarot stuff. And I'll be continuing a lot of stuff that I haven't 
done today. Now, the 15th, this is going to be lovely. Uh, Claire Roach will be here mainly, and we'll be doing the uh, introduction to Harps, Harps and Bardic Folklore. Are we doing an introduction to Bardic Folklore? And then Claire will take you through the simplicity of how you can express yourself uh, as a bard and be part of the Bardic Folklore yourself. That's going to be a very special uh, episode on the 15th. And then on the 22nd, it's back to the orb, and we're going on to the uh, divination uh, story then. Anyway, we've got one more guest. Uh, the upcoming song, uh, beautifully here, uh, sung by uh, Howard uh, Hawksley. And here, uh, I'm going to line it up, ready to play. And here, uh, Howard sings under the title of The Grey Cock. Uh, it's also known as Willie's Ghost. And you may know it from different interpretations and different titles. It may be familiar, uh, Gwen will know this one, uh, as the Night Visitors or Night, uh, yeah, the Night Visiting or Night Visitors song, which was made popular by Luke Carey and the Dubliners and also the Tannehill Weavers. Uh, but in that song, the lad was not a ghost in the uh, Night Visitors song, but the cockerel still awoke the lad and his lover. And then there's other variations of the song. And they bring in the Randy Soldier then. Uh, you've got As I Rolled Out, Cold, Haley, Windy Night, Gentleman Soldier, and 16 Comes Sunday. But Howard's version of the Grey Cock coming up, it's got a lovely history. Uh, it's from Cecilia Costello, uh, who was living, uh, born in England from of Irish descent, Nick Kelly. And... Uh, she first had it recorded in 1951, but it really didn't get onto an LP until 1972. Now, Cecilia picked up the song from an Irish song collector from Limerick, uh, Patrick Joyce, and uh, he said that he was taught to him as a boy way back in 1830. Now, Cecilia's version was sort of copied by Martin Carthy very soon after her recording, but it's it seems to be made more popular by his daughter, Lisa Carthy. Now, before Howard sings it, one more thing. Uh, we are familiar with the morning cock crowing, but there's other world folklore from China. This is a world thing, and it tells that the loud morning bird song that wakes us up brings us back from the other world and awakens us back into this new world. So here is uh, Howard Hawkley. He's going to perform beautifully his interpretation of the Grey Cock. Thank you for sending this, Howard. This is an additional song. I've got the soundtrack with lyrics here. The slight difference is, but I hope you'll be able to follow it. Uh, the Grey Cock, here we go. I must be going no longer stay The burning I have to cross Oh, I must be guided Without a stumble Into the arms of my dear lass When he came to his true love's window It's through a pain 
enjoyed that from Howard. Lovely to have him back again. Uh, thank you, Howard, if you're still here <laughs> watching to see if you were on. 
Uh, last look at your uh, comments here. And uh, Linda, enjoyed the poem. Thanks for sharing with us. That must be uh, with uh, Chandler. And uh, okay. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, so many thanks to you, uh, Linda, for getting on live and Chandler for the beautiful recording. And eventually uh, we got to uh, Howard and hopefully we'll get him live. Let's see if we can get him in the next uh, week or two. I'd like to ask, please, uh, it's been a long session, this one. Sorry for keeping you a bit longer. There's such a lot of so on. But keep commenting here if you're watching this after it was live. Uh, it's in the archive forever. So really uh, what I need to do is wish you a fantastic, uh, lovely week full of inspiration, uh, crossing over the veil and back again, uh, all the celebrations and enchantments, spirits raising, and uh, that, of course we're being challenged with that now, but keep those spirits up. So until next Sunday, thank you all. Uh, play well, and it's bye. Bye.